entering the Freedom Hut. The walls are closing in. This time Trump is finished. This is his Watergate moment. This time he's gone too far. Just kidding. Libs are losing their minds. None of that is true, but there's another impeachment hearing today. We'll get to that coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Last night I was taking a break from working on the book that I'm I'm tentatively calling Crush the Commies, but I don't think that's actually going to be the title. But you'll find out the title eventually. It's coming out. I got a draft, dude. Draft's got to be in full draft before Christmas. Uh, I, was, I was writing, taking a moment to think about life and the world. I turned on the TV. I, I don't know. Maybe it was 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. And uh, 7 o'clock at night, I guess it was. And this hearing had been going on still for, what was it? 11 plus hours sitting there. I was like, who, who thought that this was a good idea? I mean, this is absurd. Asking a million questions about an unimportant event that didn't even happen, that nobody should care about. And liberals have somehow convinced themselves, this is where Trump supporters are going to flee him. This is where independents will come over to their side. And maybe even Republican senators will vote to remove him from office. Uh, These people have completely lost their minds. Was there, did you order the quid pro quo? Remember that with Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, United States Marine Corps, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Remember that guy? The whole moment where he's asked, did you order the code red? And that's that's the the buildup in the whole movie. Is that it's a very watchable movie, even though it's really not that interesting if you think about the storyline. But anyway, it's okay. I've watched it many times. Did you order the quid pro quo? That is the question that I suppose we're dealing with now. Even though before we get into the the thick of this, before we get down into the weeds, let's keep in mind what have I been telling you all along? I don't care if there was a quid pro quo. Investigating. The 2016 election, Ukraine shenanigans, Biden and Burisma is all legitimate for the president to request. I I do not care. I don't know how else to. There there is no statutory infringement here. If they don't like how the president of the United States uses his powers and his constitutional authority, that's what elections are for. That's not what impeachment is for. There is no abuse here just because they don't like the thing that he asked about. That's not an abuse, right? But here we are being told that this is the moment that it all turns around. This is the, the incident that we look at and we think to ourselves, oh, my gosh, I simply can't handle supporting this president anymore because of... What I think maybe an ambassador said to another ambassador who heard from a guy who worked at the NSC, who talked to his brother, who talked to a lawyer, who talked to the whistleblower, that Trump wanted an investigation of Burisma and Hunter Biden. Oh, no. So what? I I sit here and I ask from the beginning, you know, we can argue about whether there was a quid pro quo and, and 
how it's even possible to be upset over a quid pro quo when nothing happened. The aid was not uh, was not taken away from Ukraine. They got the money and there was no investigation started of the Bidens. So what are we talking about even with? But that that goes deeper. That really plays the game from their side of the field. And I, I don't particularly want to do that. Notice how they've gone back to quid pro quo because bribery didn't work. That was what they were trying, bribery. And before that, it was an abuse of power. And before that, it was a campaign finance violation. And, and after that, it was uh, I, I don't, a violation of the Administrative Procedures Act, according to the Ninth Circuit of Appeals. I don't know. Changing it every day. If you have a real case to make against somebody, you don't change the charge every day. Well, today this is polling better, so we'll just say this thing. Tomorrow that one might be polling better, so we'll say that thing. You have more testimony today. Ambassador Sondland, I was watching it this morning. Guy actually kind of reminds me of the insurance salesman from Groundhog Day. Ned Ryerson? Oh, hey, buddy. He bought whole life. Blah, 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 health insurance from me. Remember from Groundhog Day where Bill Murray hugs the guy? Ned Ryerson. Anyway, uh, Sondland just kind of reminds me of that actor. Very good comedic actor, by the way. That guy was fantastic in that role. So, all right, we got this Sondland guy. Let's let's dig into this together because, folks, this is it's wall to wall. The journos are all fired up about this. They think this really matters so much. They really want to talk about it. Okay, so I think this is going to go on for like another 12 hours today. I mean, it was endless yesterday and then we'll get into some other components of this narrative also some other things to talk about there's a democratic debate tonight i don't know if anyone wow i don't know if anybody really cares but there's a democrat debate tonight mayor pete is surging maybe mayor pete is the democrat savior that they have been waiting for at least in terms of their primary campaign mayor pete's way up in new hampshire way up in iowa he's i'm just putting it i've been telling you all along it's not going to be biden just like i've been telling you all along doesn't matter if there's a quid pro quo Stick with the Buckster. I don't. We, we don't have to do a lot of corrections here on this show. We don't have to, oh, I was way Samsonite. I was way off. So Sondlin, let's get to what he has to say. This is all about whether the, the storyline today they want you to take away from this. I, I'm going to distill down for you, and this is I hope why one of the reasons why you listen to this show. I will distill down for you everything that is said over. You know, that has that has been said today and was said yesterday over the course of Lord knows how many hours of testimony into the very simple narratives that Democrats are then going to try to force free, try to ram down the throats of the American public to bring about the outcome of at least a change in public opinion that will politically disadvantage Trump going into reelection and maybe in their wildest dreams perhaps get some republicans in the senate to start to go along with the possibility of removal but i don't think i mean that's just it's just not going to happen um i think the democrats have never really even thought about what the implications would be if they remove trump in that manner after the leveraging and the manipulation of the deep state and all the dishonesty not just from the media but from very senior uh, obama appointees trying to get an investigation and successfully getting investigation of the president going based on lies, uh, based on a, a, the abuse of power that was seen there. If they manage to remove Trump from office, um, I would lose all faith in the American political system. And 
a lot of us who really do believe in this country and the Constitution uh, would very quickly understand this place to be under direct threat, that the institutions that we have grown up with and that have we have defended, and in some cases for many of you, defended with your lives by serving the armed forces, uh, that they are corrupted and perhaps corrupted beyond repair. Uh, Democrats are so shrill, they shriek so loudly with their hatred of Trump, they don't seem to understand what the implications would be of getting what they want. If they really remove this president based on this, based on a phone call that a lot of people heard, and we'll get into this, didn't think was a big deal, and based on a policy dispute that didn't lead to anything, and I mean, what, what they really believe that we'll just go that that things will return to normal after that. I think that's one of the fundamental fallacies that the left indulges for itself is is that they that they'll be able to pretend this whole Trump thing never happened. And we're going to go back to a point where the elite media, the libs, the Democrats could just sort of pat people on the heads and say, this is the way the system is. This is the way the system in our government works. And a lot of Republicans, of course, going along with them. Don't there's a lot of machine GOP that needs to be swept away. But then that brings me to the storyline today, the the one thing they're trying to get everybody to believe or to hear so many times that it will influence and affect their judgment and that it will change minds about the president of the United States. Did everybody know Mulvaney and Pompeo and well, at least everybody in the Trump's inner circle and Trump's inner circle, because we had a lot of testimony yesterday from senior NSC guys. I will say Volker and this other guy, Morrison, they're square away dudes. They kind of remind me of some of the individuals that I worked with at the CIA in terms of their demeanor, in terms of their approach to their jobs, in that they were really spot on. They really know their brief. They I thought they were impressive under that pressure, and you weren't really aware of what their politics were. I, even though I, f- I forget the name, but the uh, aide to Pence yesterday, I, I don't think that she showed up as a... We know who the partisans are, right? We know who the partisans are in this whole process. I mean, Vinman, and I, I love seeing yesterday, um, uh, you know, you had on Twitter, Rob O'Neill, who's a Fox contributor guy I know a bit and uh, has has never been shy on, on the Twitter just saying, all you need to know about Vinman, you found out when he insisted on being called Lieutenant Colonel. People people who serve, they don't flex like that because they don't have to, unless they're trying to prove something, trying to do something a little weird. So I thought that was that was a, a noteworthy incident. But we know who the partisans are. We know who the people are who are just showing up and telling what they know about this. And the fact that Adam Schiff provides, uh, presides over all of this Tells you really all you have to know about the legitimacy and the decency and the fairness of the proceeding, which is that there is none. But okay, you're supposed to believe that Mulvaney knew, that Pompeo knew, that everybody knew that the president had drawn a line in the sand about an investigation, getting dirt on his political opponents. That's what they always say, which I would note is a distortion, an intentional distortion of what is even said in the phone call, on the phone call in question. Can you find out about what happened here, I've heard bad things, is not the same as 
manufacture lies about my opponent so that I can feed them to the press. That is what the Democrats did, by the way, with the dossier paid for by the DNC, using foreign sources, running it to the FISA court, corrupting the top of the DOJ and the FBI under Obama. So they already know all about that. They know how to do that. But that's not what happened here. They keep saying, get dirt on your political opponent. Is there dirt? Are they are they taking it as already established that there must be? So the only reason you'd ask for dirt is if there is dirt. So I guess the Biden situation in Ukraine is perhaps shadier than they've been willing to admit up to this point. That's, that's an interesting, an interesting admission that I don't think they intended. They keep saying this, though. Oh, get dirt on the opponent. There's nothing wrong. And I will not veer from this. Nothing will change my mind about this because it's so obvious when you think about it. There's nothing wrong with requesting a look from a foreign counterpart at what happened in the 2016 election. There are active DOJ investigations right now about that matter. The Democrats, all they could talk about for over two years was that. But they had they were in control of that and they knew it. They had Weissman, their little attack guy going after Trump with all of his little Democrats. So they were fine with investigations then. But now the shoe is on the other foot. Now the other side maybe gets to take a look under the hood and see what's going on. Hmm. Okay. But we're told that there was a quid pro quo, that the president's top advisors all knew about this, and that is Sondland's position. Except there's one problem with that, as he is saying. Listen, look, Sondland is a you know, this is another example of maybe we shouldn't appoint ambassadors based on how much money they raise for presidents, but that is what ends up happening. This guy was ambassador to the EU. He's a hotelier, uh, and, you know, he is a Trump appointee who raised money for Trump. So Trump doesn't appoint the best people. Never going to change my mind on that. Trump uh, Trump does not have the best people. You don't hear him say that anymore because he doesn't. He does not have good instincts about human beings. It's just reality. Good instincts about politics. Good instincts about fighting back against the opposition. But when it comes to picking the best people, I mean, I'm sitting here and my White House press secretary, Trumpster, you're missing out. But here's the problem with Sondland's point of view on all this. Please, Producer Mark, would you play uh, 26 from this morning's hearing? Do you have any reason to doubt Ambassador Taylor's testimony, which he said was based on his meticulous contemporaneous notes? Uh President Trump never told me directly that the aid was conditioned on the meetings. The only thing we got directly from Giuliani was that the Burisma and 2016 elections were conditioned on the White House meeting. The aid was my own personal, uh, you know, guess based, again, on your analogy, two plus two equals four. So you didn't talk to President Trump when Ambassador Taylor says that that's what you told him? Is that your testimony here? My testimony is I never heard from President Trump that aid was conditioned on an announcement of elections. So you never heard those specific words? Correct. Right? But Never heard those words. So the president draws, we are to believe, just follow this through, just apply logic, forget about it. Occam's razor, my man, just go to it this way. The president draws this line in the sand. You must do these investigations. You must. But nobody has ever told this in a, in a meaningful and straightforward way. Nobody in his policy chain of command 
seems to remember the president saying that this must happen or else. Maybe he said he wanted them to investigate. Maybe it was important. Maybe, but you know, the whole thing here's the quid pro quo. Nobody remembers being told this. And somehow the investigations didn't happen. And there were no consequences from the investigations not happening. So if this was a quid pro quo, it was the worst one anyone has ever come up with in history. And this is why you can't believe the narrative that they're trying to feed you on this one. You can't believe the story they're telling you. Don't be a quid pro quo schmo. Don't listen to the fake news on this. The Democrats fake outrage that President Trump used his own channel to communicate with Ukraine. I'll remind my friends on the other side of the aisle that our first president, George Washington, directed his own diplomatic channels to secure a treaty with Great Britain. If my Democratic colleagues were around in 1794, they'd probably want to impeach him, too. Yep, they probably would. This is something that is left out of the the feverish media coverage. Oh, my gosh, Trump and the abuse of power and all all over really all over all over saint biden they're gonna do this guy i think he's 78 years old today by the way um and not going to be their their primary uh victor but the president can appoint people to act on his behalf in foreign policy presidents have done this as devin nunes pointed out but you don't hear that. There's always this talk of the unofficial channel. So Rudy Giuliani is skulking around in corners and just, you know, ring, wringing his hands to, and, and just, ooh, how can, I, how can I undermine policy? He's a policy emissary of the president of the United States. The president's allowed to do that. The president's allowed to conduct secret diplomacy. He's allowed to have people doing diplomacy on his behalf. The president's allowed to do this, folks. Media doesn't want to tell you that. Ah, but as predictable as night follows day, the banner on CNN, witness implicates Trump. Oh, my gosh. Implicates him in what? Ask that question. What is the crime? What is there an anti quid pro quo statute? Because all foreign policy is based on quid pro quos all the time. Their entire case hinges on whether or not the public understands the request. It's not a, it wasn't a demand. It wasn't enforced. The request for a look from a foreign counterpart into issues of concern to this country, including 2016 and whether there was corruption going on in Ukraine and whether that corruption directly touched on Uh, the Biden relationship in Ukraine, is that a legitimate request or not? I'm here to tell you it is a legitimate request. Do not listen to what they are trying to feed you. Oh, my gosh. Getting dirt on his opponent. Is that what he said? Did Trump say, hey, can you guys just give me give me something? Just makes have one of your guys write up a memo about how Hunter Biden took a duffel bag full of cash under the table to tell his dad not to process, you know, to get the prosecutor fired or whatever it was. No, he said, I've heard bad things. Can you look at, can you look into this and get us some answers on these, on the situation? Now, you know, crowd strike, the Ukrainian server situation, that is perhaps not as strong a case. That's not territory that is quite as 
valid for this, but the 2016 election in Ukraine overall is very valid, my friends, and I will get into why. I'm going to pose this question to you, and I will return to it in a moment, but and, and Byron York, who is just, he's just this understated, steady hand in writing about this and covering this issue, who just, he lets his writing, he lets his thoughts do, do the talking for him. He's not a lot of bluster. He's not running around calling people out. He's just like, what about this? How about that? Anyone want to take a look at this? And he's very, very consistently, I think, insightful on, on these matters of, uh, not just impeachment, but Russia collusion and all the rest of it. I mean, there's a whole crew, Andy McCarthy, Byron York, Molly Hemingway. I mean, these people have been correct on this all along, which I think should matter. In ones that, you know, CNN and MSNBC keep putting these people on TV who are like, oh, my gosh, any day now the walls are closing in. Oh, no, false. It's not true. It wasn't happening. But it was, I suppose, good for ratings, good for ratings at the time. Um, but I, I, I would want to take you to a piece that Byron has written where he, he goes through, what if Trump is right about Ukraine? Now, just hold that thought for a minute, because I have to get a little more of this testimony today and what they're saying. And, oh, the quid pro quo. And they're back to this now because it sounds shady. And and I, I do think that the White House and the Republicans have have made a rhetorical mistake by saying there was no quid pro quo. Mick Mulvaney was actually right, but it was counter the narrative the White House was putting out at the time. He was right when he said the quid pro quos happen all the time in foreign policy. I mean, the way he said it wasn't excellent, but the truth is that Mick Mulvaney was more on target here because quid pro quos are something that foreign policy doesn't just have. It's not a, it's not a bug. It's a feature. It is central to how you do this. So if the president has a valid, a valid request or a valid national interest or just a valid interest for for the administration of the, you know, and the executive branch of the United States government, he is allowed. There is nothing improper with him asking about that matter. There's nothing improper with him requesting more information or even an investigation from a counterpart about that. You ha- you must remember this because they they want you to they want you to forget all about that aspect of this debate and just skip right to well if he conditioned aid for the uh, you know for the Ukrainians based on whether they would look into his political rivals did did President Trump make Hunter Biden take fifty thousand dollars a month while Daddy was running foreign policy in Ukraine No he did not. Is that a legitimately shady and perhaps even corrupt arrangement? Yes, it is. Have far less credible and serious things been investigated ferociously by Democrats over the course of the two-year special counsel, as well as you know everything else they've thrown at this president? Of course. Of course. Look at the way they went after the, the Stormy Daniel hush money, payment, uh, hush money payments, which... They were trying to say might have been a non-criminal campaign finance violation. That that's what they're going to go with. It's it's my it's mind-boggling. There is plenty of reason to look into whether there was a corrupt situation between the Bidens and Burisma in Ukraine. It is just reality. 
Everyone can pretend like no big deal. It's not illegal. Well, it's a big deal because it is unethical. It was gross. That's established. What happened was gross. Hunter Biden is an imbecile. He was getting paid 50 grand a month because of who daddy was, because daddy had a lot of power in your name. The daddy in this case, uh, Joe Biden, was acting on behalf of the Obama administration, who was your president and my president at the time. He was acting on behalf of the American people, carrying that weight, carrying that power. And there was at least the appearance of corruption. So why can't we look into this and find out if there was more than that? How could we know if there was something explicitly illegal? Yes, a quid pro quo of corruption, uh, unless we asked our counterparts and found out more about what was happening here. They just wave all of this away and tell you there's nothing to see here. Everything is fine. Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, never have an error in judgment like that. You know, Hunter Biden, the drug addict who got kicked out of the Naval Reserves as a public affairs officer within six months of getting his commission because of who his dad was for failing a drug test for, I believe it was crack cocaine. That guy would never have an error of judgment that would implicate the vice president of the United States? No, of course not. How stupid do they think we really are? Unfortunately, quite stupid, it seems, because at least today they believe they're winning. They're cheering. They think they finally got Trump. They're finally going to hammer this whole thing until until we give up and Trump is in is in real trouble. Uh, here is part of what Sondland said this morning. Play 23, producer Mark. Everyone was in the loop. It was no secret. Everyone was informed via email on July 19th, days before the presidential call. As I communicated to the team, I told President Zelensky in advance that assurances to run a fully transparent investigation and turn over every stone were necessary in his call with President Trump. On July 19th, in a WhatsApp message between Ambassador Taylor, Ambassador Volker, and me, Ambassador Volker stated, had breakfast with Rudy this morning, that's Ambassador Volker and Rudy Giuliani, Teeing up call with Yermak Monday, that's senior advisor Andre Yermak, must have helped. Most important is for Zelensky to say that he will help investigation and address any specific personnel issues, if there are any. None of that is illegitimate to me at all. Assuming that that's all true, which still seems a little bit hazy, but I'm not even arguing with the truth of it as a necessary defense of Trump. I'm just saying, even if all that is true, yeah, Ukraine's like the most corrupt country on planet Earth. The son of the vice president is getting $50,000 a month. There are prosecutors getting fired who are supposed to be rooting out corruption. There's all kinds of shenanigans, which I will get into, of Ukrainian government officials publicly, and this is on the record, speaking out against Trump during the election. But no investigations. All of a sudden, Democrats, you know, investigations are kryptonite. Ah, you know, the Democrats are vampires and investigations are the sunlight coming out, ah, catching on fire. What, what, what's wrong with finding out what happened here? I thought they love finding out what happened. We just went through a two and a half year long special counsel debacle 
that in the end told us, you know, maybe some stuff happened with the obstruction of the investigation, but really the investigation never needed to happen because there was no Trump-Russia collusion. Oh, that investigation was totally legitimate, totally necessary, though. It is not whataboutism to look at these issues and say, hold on a second, when you have this other concern, when there was another situation like this, did you apply the principle equally? Are Democrats applying principles and rule of law and expectations of government officials equally to both sides? If someone says yes, they're a moron. That's where we are. Clearly, the principle, the the regulation, the interpretation, the ethical expectation is changing every day, depending on, well, is this going to affect the Democrat or is this going to affect the Republican? Is Trump the person that's going to get in trouble because of this or is somebody that we like as Democrats going to get in trouble because of this? And that's all that matters. Ambassador Taylor, in a WhatsApp message to Ambassador Sondland, Taylor, as I said on the phone, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. Sondland, Bill, I believe you are incorrect about President Trump's intentions. The president has been clear, no quid pro quos of any kind. The president is trying to evaluate whether Ukraine is truly going to adopt the transparency and reforms that President Zelensky promised during his campaign. I suggest we stop the back and forth by text if you still have concerns. I can recommend you give Lisa Kenna or S a call to discuss them directly. Thanks. What, 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 so that is the ambassador Sondland saying no quid. The president has said no quid pro quos. If a bunch of little confused bureaucrats running around in circles worried about, you know, who's in charge of, of their portfolio and, and who has the direct ear of the president and who's pushing most effectively on foreign counterparts. I know how all these like state department people talk. Uh, you know, circle the loop and uh, circle back and close the loop and, you know, all, all this stuff, all this bureaucratese they speak in all the time. Um, if they were confused about the president's intentions, that's on them. And if Rudy Giuliani was running around throwing elbows and that ruffled some feathers and maybe some people got confused about what he wanted or maybe Rudy went a little rogue. I like Rudy, but that's on him. Otherwise, I need someone to explain to me how something that would need to be as clear for it to have any impact as a quid pro quo, you do this or else. We have all these people talking about this, but there was no real establishment of what was supposed to be done, and there never was an or else. And even if those things were true, I sit here and I tell you, fine. He's the president of the United States. I keep hearing people say, well, you know, the president was going against the interagency consensus. The president wasn't wasn't uh, conducting the foreign policy of the United States. No, he he is. When the president says this is the foreign policy of the United States, it is the foreign policy of the United States. That's what the libs and the deep staters and the mainstream media don't But I believe I just understand. asked him an open-ended question, Mr. Chairman. Just what do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these it. different ideas and theories and this and that. What do you want? And it was a very short, abrupt conversation. He was not in a good mood. And he just said, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Something to that effect. 
I want nothing, tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Um, that That's what the president, you know, I know this president is mercurial, changes his mind a lot and everything else, but maybe there was just some confusion about what was real here. Maybe there was some confusion about whether the president, what the president's real intentions were. Here is one of the problems we run into. Democrats, and you see this, not just in this impeachment mess, but you see it in new uh, new legal jurisprudence that Democrats apply to this president and only to this president, where it no longer matters if what he did is strictly speaking within his power or legal or constitutional. They decide because they can see into his heart. They understand his intentions. They know who he really is on the inside. They decide that it is de facto illegitimate because Trump is doing it. A perfect example of this would be with the so-called Muslim ban. Turned out the Supreme Court said, yeah, you can, you're allowed to ban people from these countries, your president, the statute that Congress wrote that says you can do this, and you can just do it. It's up to the president's discretion. They don't think this president is allowed to have presidential discretion because they don't accept that he's really the president. That's what is also playing out through this whole debate over what was going on in Ukraine and what he said. And you see, even if the president is legally speaking, which he is, allowed to tell a foreign counterpart, hey, can you look into this issue? I want answers. That is the that is the sum total of what action occurred. Can you look into the following thing? 2016, you know, Burisma and Ukraine and, and the Bidens. He is completely legally entitled to do that. There is no legal prohibition against any of this. That, oh, yeah, it would be bad for Joe Biden if it turned out that they found real corruption involving his son or something doesn't mean that Trump doesn't have that authority anymore. Oh, but they just take it. The left and the libs take it to a special place where because Donald Trump is the one making the request. It is inherently illegitimate. Because he is bad. He is evil. Orange man, bad and evil. That's all. Everything else is just trying to, you know, put more more uh, adornments and baubles on the tree, so to speak. Or, you know, just trying to add meat to the bone. I haven't used the word baubles in a long time. I don't know where that came from. All right, team, let's go deep down the rabbit hole here for a second together. What if Trump was right about Ukraine. This is an analysis that Byron York has put out from the Washington Examiner. And it just lays out what I have, what, what is essentially a, a an argument or, or at least information, data points that bolsters what I've been saying all along to you, which is that looking into the Bidens and Ukraine and Burisma is an entirely legitimate exercise in fact, it would be legitimate from my perspective to have the Department of Justice look into those matters, which if Trump really wanted to just go after Biden as aggressively as possible, he could do. 
right? He could say, you know, look, I need the attorney, the attorney general. People would say, oh, would he ever publicly do this? I mean, tell the attorney general, I want, I want answers about what happened in Ukraine. Look into it. Open the investigation. There is no special immunity from investigation for Senator for issues that touch upon Senator Joe Biden or his family. There's certainly no immunity for investigation as far as libs are concerned when it comes to Trump. They claim there's immunity from prosecution, right? And that's what's been said now as well by the White House. We'll see if that's true. They would love to bring charges against him. But let's just go over some of the facts. Yesterday, I read to you from that Politico article. And that political article, and that was at a time when there was a belief uh, that Hillary Clinton was definitely going to be the president. And Obama's foreign policy apparatus was tightly enmeshed in situations uh, going on in Ukraine. And his ambassadors, his appointees, Obama's, were running foreign policy in that country. And Politico did this story, though, on how there were people at the Ukraine embassy, employees of the Ukrainian government, who were trying to be helpful to their American and, in this case, under a Democrat administration counterparts, to give information damaging, uh, that is damaging to President Trump, specifically information about Paul Manafort and his dealings in Ukraine, but that, my friends, would be foreign interference in an election, wouldn't it? This is what we've always been told. That e- even if, for example, uh, nothing was exchanged in a meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner and all the rest at Trump Tower, just sitting down and listening to somebody who said they had information about Hillary Clinton, that they said that was treason at one point, which is insane, by the way. These people are nuts, but we've got to put that aside for a moment. So the political story still stands. There were journalists at that time who were willing to look into this and find out that there were Ukrainian uh, government officials that seemed to want to help Hillary. And we should know about that. We should also know if those Democrat appointees in the State Department apparatus were perhaps even not just happy to try to get that information, but we're giving them instructions. Collection requirements, if you will, saying, hey, go get this for me. Go get that for me. First up, Byron York's piece here. Government ministers attack. During the summer of 2016, candidate Trump was under constant criticism for being insufficiently critical of Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin. From Ukraine's perspective, Trump's Crimea statements were linked to the presence of Paul Manafort in the Trump campaign. First hired in March of 2016 to organize delegate support, Manafort was promoted to campaign chairman in June. Uh, Trump's uh, comments on Crimea set off a strong reaction in Ukraine. Some high-ranking members of the Ukrainian government took to social media in an attempt to influence, as best they could, the U.S. presidential race. Arzen Avakov, at that time the interior minister, tweeted that Trump was a, quote, clown, and added that the Republican candidate was, quote, an even bigger danger to the U.S. than terrorism. 
That's the interior minister of Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that seems like somebody has something to say. On Facebook, Avakov wrote the shameless statement of U.S. President candidate Donald Trump on the possible recognition of Crimea as Russia is a diagnosis of a dangerous outcast. He is dangerous both for Ukraine and the U.S. to the same extent. An outcast bowing down to Putin's dictatorship cannot be the guarantor of democratic freedoms in the U.S. and the world. Avakov suggested Manafort was responsible for Trump's position. Where will Manafort take Trump? Avakov asked. He completed the post by adding a photo of a mural in Vilnius portraying Trump and Putin in a passionate kiss, which is popular in hashtag resistance circles around the world. End quote here from this Byron York piece in the Washington Examiner. Okay. That, now, remember, what we're establishing here is the context, the environment in 2016 in Ukraine, in Kiev, which everyone says now, it used to be Kiev, right? But ever now, all the cool kids say Kiev. Just like no one says the Ukraine, now everyone knows it's just Ukraine. Was in Kiev uh, at the embassy there. What were the sentiments like of the government before Zelensky came in? Right? What, what, what was going on in this Ukrainian regime at the time? And the answer is that you had very, very top figures who were decidedly, openly anti-Trump and worried about Trump. And not just they didn't like him, but they were worried about a Trump presidency because, I mean, the recognition, for example, of Crimea as legitimate, that would be an enormous slap in the face to Ukraine. They would completely freak out about that. And so you start thinking, well, hold on a second. Explain to me, then, the lengths that these different Ukrainian politicians and ministers and officials would be willing to go to to prevent an American president from winning a U.S. election that could result in a cutoff of the aid that we've all been told is so near and dear to the Ukrainians in fighting against the Russians, a friendly voice for Putin, and recognition of Crimea. None of those things, by the way, ended up being true, which also makes one think, How much of the perception of these Ukrainian officials was driven by Democrat Obama administration appointees and employees in Ukraine, Americans who were telling the Ukrainians, if Trump wins, you guys are screwed. I'm just I'm just putting we're, we're working through this together. Okay, So there's clearly motive. And we already have one individual here, the interior minister, not something, you know, not a, not a coffee boy that no one's ever heard of. OK, the interior minister of Ukraine saying that Trump is a, is a huge danger and it's terrible and he's awful. Hmm. Interesting. Back to this Byron York piece. At about the same time, a former prime minister, Arzeny Yatsenyuk, it's a fun name to say, made the case that Trump's statement on Crimea and Putin made his campaign fair game for Ukrainians. Trump's comments, quote, go beyond any form of domestic political campaigning, Yatsenyuk wrote. An official candidate for the United States presidential election has challenged the very values of the free world, civilized world order, and international law. This guy's a former prime minister of Ukraine. 
Just be like, I mean, imagine if, you know, George W. Bush is writing that about somebody. And they're like, oh, but there was no anti-sentiment from the government. Hmm. Strange, isn't it? Uh... What about Donald Trump? I'm well, sorry. What Donald Trump said about Crimea today, Yetzianiuk wrote, might tomorrow extend to some other part of the world in Europe, Asia or the Americas. And that makes it worrisome for everyone. For everyone. Including apparently perhaps employees of the Ukraine embassy uh, or rather employees of the Ukrainian foreign ministry working with and interacting with Americans at the embassy in Kiev. Perhaps. We wouldn't really know, though, would we, unless we had a full accounting of this, unless there was an investigation of this. Number two here in Byron's list, the ambassador takes a position. At about the same time as a government minister and a former top official were taking to social media, Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Valerie Chali, wrote an op-ed published in The Hill He used much more temperate language, but he said that Trump's statements on Crimea have raised serious concerns in Kyiv and beyond Ukraine. And they were in sharp contrast to the Republican Party platform. And they were in contrast to bipartisan support for sanctions against Russia. So the acting or the the actual ambassador from Ukraine to the United States wrote an op-ed at the Hill where I used to work saying... Yeah, Trump's really bad on this stuff, guys. We're really worried. Hmm. But, I mean, we, we think that Ukraine, the government there, no one working for it tried to help Hillary, right? That's that's the premise we're told. And anybody, it's a debunked conspiracy theory to say otherwise. Okay. Um, then he goes into Lyshenko and the Black Ledger. Uh, he is a member, a former member, of, or I think still a member of parliament, This is Lyshenko now. And, quote, a few weeks after Trump's statements about Crimea in August of 2016, Lyshenko took on a new task. On August 28th, the Financial Times published a story, Ukraine's leaders campaign against pro-Putin Trump, which began for years. Serhiy Lyshenko, a top Ukrainian anti-corruption campaigner, worked to expose kleptocracy under former President Viktor Yanukovych. Now he is focusing on a new perceived pro-Russian threat to Ukraine, U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump. Okay, how many more powerful government and anti-corruption and anti-Russian figures in the Ukrainian government apparatus do we have to find who are openly, Deeply opposed to Trump winning the presidency in 2016 because of his Ukraine policy before we think, well, maybe maybe the Ukrainians did kind of want to help out Hillary a little bit. That'd be a little little strange, right? Um, And then we get to the mysterious Alexandra Chalupa. The Trump-Ukraine brouhaha has shed light on the activities of a woman named Alexandra Chalupa who worked in the Clinton White House and later with Democratic National Committee Chalupa's parents emigrated to the U.S. from Ukraine, and she maintained strong ties to the U.S. American, uh, sorry, to the American Ukrainian diaspora and the U.S. embassy in Ukraine. This was according to a 2017, uh, January 2017 article in Politico, Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. Politico reported in 2014, Chalupa had a 
client or that that in 2014, Chalupa had a client interested in the Ukrainian crisis. As part of that, she began looking into Manafort's activities in Ukraine. Chalupa developed a network of sources in Kiev and Washington, including investigative journalists, government officials and private intelligence operatives. When Trump was leading the Republican presidential nominating contest, Chalupa began focusing her research on him. In March of 2016, Chalupa went to the Ukrainian embassy in Washington and shared her concerns with Ambassador Chali and one of his deputies. Not long after, Chalupa spoke again with the DNC, and according to Politico, with the DNC's encouragement, Chalupa asked embassy staff to try to interview, arrange an interview in which Port President Poroshenko would discuss Manafort's ties to Yanukovych. The embassy said no, but was helpful, according to Chalupa. My friends, this is a lot of evidence. It's a lot of evidence of anti-Trump feelings in Ukraine from the previous Ukrainian government and involving the previous administration in this country's political appointees and even some DNC oppo researchers. Were, were any, was any of this investigated? Has anyone looked into any of this? What really happened here? Here's a problem for Democrats. I am quite confident that if there was a real look into all of this, we would find out that Democrat channels somehow got information from Ukrainian counterparts about Paul Manafort, who then became the single biggest target, other than Trump, of course, but the single biggest criminal target of the entire Russia collusion probe. A lot of these people really hated Manafort. And people knew early on here that Manafort was going to be in a lot of trouble, which is also why the Trump campaign fired him, but that's a whole other thing. So what would it mean, though, for this whole narrative about foreign interference and, and, you know, getting involved in our elections if it turns out the Democrats themselves were taking a thing of value, as they call it, information about the opposing political campaigns, campaign chairman from a foreign government, getting oppo research from a foreign government and then pretending like nothing ever happened? And then what would we think about all of the things they've said about, you know, WikiLeaks and Russia and Russian interference? Was Ukraine, and by Ukraine, I mean, was the previous Ukrainian administration, which was clearly terrified of Trump's reported fondness for Putin in Russia, which, as we know, was not even an accurate way to describe the situation, but uh, or describe what has happened, certainly since he came into office. But was that Ukrainian government trying to help Hillary win the election? Did the Democrats invite that help and did they know about it? I can't tell you yet the answer is 100% yes, but I can tell you it certainly looks more than likely that would be the case. And if that is the case, all of this stuff that they, I mean, we, we, we would have to go back and look again at everything that they have said about Russia collusion and all, and all the rest of it. And ultimately, it would mean that Trump's request to look into 2016 and corruption and Burisma and the Bidens, because that was all swirling around at this time in 2016, that would have been 100% acceptable, legitimate, and beyond any reasonable doubt the exercise of presidential power in a way that is of benefit, not just to the president, but to the United States as a whole.
So they're going to have to do everything they can to suppress this. They're going to have to do everything they can to make sure that we can't even investigate. The, the, where, all these data points I show you, we, we think that they're not going to find out anything. We think that what do the Democrats think is going to happen, by the way, when the Senate can call witnesses, can subpoena people, when they put Alexandra Chalupa under oath, when they put Hunter Biden under oath? You reap what you sow, Democrats. It doesn't matter because right now you have a kangaroo court headed by little shifty shift where we don't have lawyers, we don't have witnesses, we don't have anything. And yet I just got to watch and the Republicans are absolutely killing it. They are doing so well because it's a it's a scam. It's a big scam. They're doing something that the founders never thought possible and the founders didn't want. And they're using this impeachment hoax for their own political gain to try and damage the Republican Party and damage the president. But it's had the opposite effect because you've seen the polls and we're now the highest. I'm the highest I've ever been in the polls. You don't hear that on television because the news and the Democrats are one and the same. But that's the story. I certainly think the president's right that it's a scam. But I want to bring in my friend David Harsanyi. He is a senior writer at National Review. He's got great takes on this short form and long form. David, appreciate you coming back on the program. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, man, what are your takeaways? You know, Sondland today, everyone on the left, all the Democrats making a huge deal about this. What's, I, I want your, your overall so what of where we are right now in this impeachment mess. Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm of two minds. One is that it's very hard for me to get excited about anything that's going on because um, I think everyone understands that Trump asked the Ukrainian president, to look into Biden's son. And if you think that that's an impeachable offense, you're for it. If, if you don't, you're not. Um, I don't think anything we're going to hear is going to change th- that basic story, right? The thing is, people ask me, do you think it's an impeachable offense? And the answer, of course, is yes. Anything that the House wants to impeach for is an impeachable offense if they feel like it and have the votes. The thing is, I think a lot of Republicans feel like there are two sets of rules that we're living by, one for Democrats and one for them, and that Democrats have been trying to impeach this president from day one. So they're trying to overturn the election. I, I don't like the word coup, but that's what people feel, rightly so, in many ways. So I, I think a lot, a lot of this is just political, trying to weaken the president for 2020. He's not going to be removed. And it's kind of like we're just spinning our wheels and wasting our time. And yet... There are so many people that I see over at some of the cable networks, for example, who who like to invoke the founding fathers. Nancy Pelosi is practically in tears when she talks about how solemn an occasion this is. Do you do you think that for for most of the of the Democrat audience that all this theater is intended for, um, are they just happy and, and sort of eating the popcorn while they watch people skewer Trump on TV or, or do you think that they really believe that this is a fair process? I mean, I know I'm asking you to kind of like assess mass opinion in a way, but, but I'm, just, I'm just curious myself because I see this and I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's possible to be an intelligent person and hear about how the president should be impeached starting right after the election and then have all these different reasons why he should be impeached all along. But now this time around with Adam Schiff running this ridiculous, like, you know, make it up as you go along political process, now this is all solemn and serious. All that other stuff was supposed to be forgotten. I just don't think it's possible. Buck, I will speak for the people. I think that 
anyone with two brain cells does not believe that this is some sort of defense of the Constitution. There is no constitutional imperative to impeach someone. Sure, you can do it. But, uh, you know, you have the same people who are who are doing everything they can to corrode the First Amendment, the Second, the Fourth, the Fifth, the Tenth, telling me that they're protecting the Constitution by by impeaching Donald Trump. I hate to break this to everyone. I'm not a big Donald Trump fan, but he has done he's not done anything worse. And he's probably been far better in protecting the Constitution than the presidents that have come before him, whether he did it on purpose or not. I don't really care that much, you know, so. um you know, and Adam Schiff, I think, is the president's greatest friend. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's a criminal proceeding, and sometimes, you know, it's not a criminal proceeding, depending on what they want to do and when they want to do it. It's all just so arbitrary that it, it just looks ridiculous. I mean, you watch, I'm embarrassed to watch it, but not for the reasons Democrats think, and just embarrassed by the entire process. Uh, I wish it, the it really just does seem like a sham. I mean, I, you know, you, you've got these people who still cling to. Uh, and, you know, you know my feelings about Jake Tapper, Hersanyi. I mean, people like that, though. Don Lemon went on TV last night and said that, you know, he's not a liberal partisan Democrat. I actually laughed. I mean, I don't mean I thought it was amusing. Per- like, I laughed out loud as the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. You know, Jake Tapper, oh, this is the process. and the. I mean, are these people, do they, do they realize how clownish this is and how absurd they are? Or, or you know, I, I just kind of wonder, they think the audience expects them to go through this? Why not just say, well, yeah, you know, we, we don't like Trump, but we don't want to get rid of him. I mean, everybody knows, right? No, no one thinks that this is about anything other than attacking Trump. Yeah, I mean... Listen, the corruption of the media, and I don't say that as, 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 as a means of saying, oh, oh, look, they're biased. I mean, it's corrupt because it's, it's, it's not biased. It's just half-truths or non-truths. And CNN, yesterday I saw the, the media guy, which is named Brian uh, Stelter, Stelter, talking about finding the truth and digging for the truth. And, you know, CNN, I can off the top of my head come up with 10 mistakes they made during this Russia conspiracy hoax stuff that was like, brutal and it all skewed in the same direction and it changed and had a huge effect and changed the way people thought about the presidency especially on the left they think it's illegitimate still that's a, that's a serious corruption i think of of, of media and uh you know i sometimes i want to write at, listen i don't want to when i'm tweeting i want to write lol over stuff because i'm literally laughing out loud at what they're saying but you know that's a bit of a cliche these days i think well no but i i, I think that that is really the the rational response to a lot of a lot of what we're seeing right now it's just i i mean you know adam schiff saying for example he doesn't know the identity of the whistleblower <laughs> i mean that is that is just this absolutely one thing absolutely about this whistleblower thing absurd. i uh you know i worked at a newspaper and you know reported things if we would always want, there is zero reason for journalists not to mention the name of the whistleblower. It's zero. They should be searching for that name. If, the, if, the, if this was a, a Democratic uh, administration and Obama and there was a whistleblower, they would be, that name would be all over the place all the time. Everything he'd done since the second grade would be known. I've seen, so, I've seen, cons- I've seen some you know, conservative-leading journalists, by the way, and some outlets, too, who all of a sudden are like, we can't say... You know, Eric Sharamella is reportedly the whistleblower. I look at them, I'm like, first of all, the, the anonymity thing for the whistleblower is a, is a fiction. It's not even true. Even, I believe, the Washington Post 
gave three Pinocchios to Schiff on this thing. Uh, there, there is no statutory anonymity that has to be enforced by everybody. I mean, if people say that you could go to, maybe you'll go to prison for outing the whistleblower. They've got these are the people that used to used to want to publish the the Pentagon Papers, publish the WikiLeaks trove of classified documents. I mean, I, I mean, I look around. I mean, I, I really think I think that. CNN and ABC News, for reasons that are even outside of this discussion we could talk about, and MSN, I think these places are an absurdity now. I really do. Here's the thing. If you think as a publication that you're not sure that that's the whistleblower, right, that's one thing. If you're not publishing it because you don't want to out a whistleblower, that's ridiculous, as you just lay it out. It's not illegal. You know, uh, BuzzFeed just put the whole dossier online for people to read. It's not... You know, it's ridiculous. More information is something that's positive and something we want in a democracy, and uh, and uh, that's what the media is supposed to be giving us. Now, I want everyone to go read your stuff, because I read your stuff, which is why I have you on the show, not just because I like you. Nancy Pelosi is already attacking the legitimacy of the 2020 election. That's up on nationalview.com right now. Tell me about this one. Well, I mean, she said yesterday, you know, Donald Trump tweeted something, but he had put, you know, he didn't quote her exactly so everyone dismissed what he said but what what nancy pelosi said was we need to impeach donald trump and i said that i guess remove him or the 2020 election is is in danger the integrity of the election is in danger she's already preemptively told us that donald trump runs and wins that the election will be you know not legitimate so illegitimate so Every president election, they lose is illegitimate in some way, of course. But now we're preemptively saying it's going to be illegitimate. And I still don't understand why. Um, it's corroding public trust in elections, which is what Democrats have been doing for a pretty long time in various ways. And uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing to do, though not, not that they'll care. But uh, so that's what it's about. I mean, I mean, a few things. First of all, we all know the name of the whistleblower. And we know the Democrats are playing games by clinging to the fig leaf that we don't know. And the journos are running around playing dumb. And it does just prove what a dishonest sham this whole thing is. And also what a joke I think mainstream journalism is. But but I got to tell you, uh, David, I think it's going to be kind of hilarious when this Ukraine impeachment thing kind of fizzles. Um, and then the House Democrats just go ahead and impeach Donald Trump anyway, based on a laundry list of like, we just really don't like him. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, you could. I mean, obstruction of justice is that you can put whatever you want. Kind of another thing that really makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah, man, it's about, great. <laughs> these congressmen talk about the Ukraine and like they, their voice cracks with emotion about how we're leaving our friends and allies, you know, stranded, and the Russians are coming and all of that stuff. It, they could not care less about Ukraine. They didn't care about Ukraine when Obama wasn't giving them lethal weaponry, when Obama was allowing them to, the Russians to shoot down airplanes, at, you know, in the Crimea and all of that stuff. It's an absolutely, it's an absolute joke. It doesn't make anything right or wrong that's happening now, but it does show that just the massive double standard and hypocrisy that's at work here. Well, also, I think it's fascinating. We have to keep hearing about the risk that Trump ran by by delaying the aid that was delivered because, man, those Ukrainians really need those Javelin missiles. And I sit here and I just want to bang my head against the wall. I'm like, right, the things that Obama wouldn't give them. And took away from Poland and uh, Czech, Czech Republic and things like that, right? I mean, th- this idea that Obama was tougher on Russia. Listen, I, I, I think that it's a complicated issue, but the idea that Obama was somehow tough on Russia and that Trump has given Putin away, you know, given Europe to Putin is, is just only someone who's very silly or very, uh, 
you know, just ridiculous would say something. Yeah, like I mean, that. Russia has what, like a, maybe a trillion dollar economy? I mean, this is not... This is not the Soviet Union all over again, too. I think that Russia looms so large in the minds of so many people now as this threat that's, you know, check your closet and look under your bed before you go to sleep at night. I think Putin's a bad guy. I've been talking about, reading about, and and involved in, and going back to even my days in the government. Like, I've been very aware of the bad stuff that a former KGB thug has been doing, stretching back to the fighting in Chechnya. I mean, there's a lot of stuff... But it's not like Russia is about to invade us tomorrow and overturn our elections and all these things we hear all the time. And I just think that they do the public a disservice by creating what is a true hysteria now. I mean, they really the uh, Democrats now really believe that Russia is a mortal adversary to the United States. That's actually not true. No, I mean, we have different geopolitical. Yeah, of course, we have oppositional stuff with them, but. Right, aims and stuff. I mean, no one, no, no, no serious person wants to go to war with Russia over anything right now right i mean it's 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 kind of a dangerous rhetoric that even when a democrat becomes president is never going to follow through on it's just not it's just not reality and you know but i do love the hysteria that created where i you know my my parents uh, you know defected to run away from the soviet union but i get called like a russian mole all the time uh you know simply because i i don't you know i i defend donald trump it's just such a ridiculous position to put people in and the whole debate has been sort of co-opted by ridiculous people like Max Boot or whatever, you know, who are just so over the top and so so silly. We're going to keep silly, talking to uh, to David. David, hold on one sec. We'll come right back. Yeah. All right, team, we got David Harsanyi. Check out his piece, Nancy Pelosi is already attacking the legitimacy of the 2020 election. It's up on nationalview.com now. Um, David, uh, where, where do you think, I mean, I, I also, I want to ask you about the, uh, the Democrat election. I'm sorry, the uh, Democrat um, what do you call it when they argue with each other? Debate, thank you, uh, that's happening tonight that's not getting much attention. But first, just this impeachment thing, where where do you see it heading at this point? Because I, I really just believe, I mean, I think the president, I would bet a large sum of money, and I should find a place where I could probably do that, they're going to impeach the president. doesn't matter what anyone says. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I can't. I can't imagine them backing out of that now and what that would cause within their, you know, the ranks of, of Democratic activists and party activists and stuff. So I just don't see how they don't move forward on that. So I think they'll impeach him. I, I'm almost 100 percent sure he won't be removed and he's going to run for president and nothing really will, will change. And there might be a slight I, I think there might be a slight backlash to all of this and we'll, we'll see about that. But. Um, unless there's some new big piece of evidence that shows some kind of criminal wrongdoing, I just don't think this changes much at all. And meanwhile, we have gridlock, which is my favorite form of government, so I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, that while we're fighting about a phone call, an action that was not taken, that did not result in anything because there was no action in a country, I don't even what, 5,000 miles away or something? I don't even, I don't even know what the, uh, what, as the crow flies, distance to Ukraine is. And, and meanwhile, the country is at a time of relative peace, uh, an economy that is booming, unemployment is super low. It's pretty amazing when you think about it in that way. When you think about economic growth from 2010 till now, it's been pretty great, right, on almost every way you can measure. Not, it's not perfect, obviously. And that, those are the years of gridlock. Nothing is getting done in Washington except for some good Trump stuff like rolling back regulations and cutting some taxes, which I think helped uh, this economy despite what liberals tell you, and is, is, uh, is something that, uh, 
that uh, does, you know, Trump has a hard, Trump has less, you know, headspace to make the economy grow, and yet he's still done and gets no credit for it. Now, presidents get too much credit for the economy, but I think Trump's been relatively good. Imagine if he didn't, you know, engage in trade wars and stuff. But I don't want to argue about that right now. Yeah, no, I, I look, I, I think that. By the way, my my theory is that Trump maybe, if he needs to in the election year, says let's just put this whole trade war thing on hold for a while. I, I think that whether that's you know, short term, long term, I, I think that that would actually have a stimulative effect on the economy. Uh, I agree with that, though. I do think that the whole standing up to China thing is is something that uh, really endears him to many of his most you know passionate supporters. But then again, those people will be there for him no matter what he does. No, that's a good point. I, but I, I will say that, uh, you know, we had uh, Gordon Chang on. What was it yesterday? And he says that it's amazing how the consensus has flipped now, at least not not on whether the trade war is the right thing or not or good for the economy or not. But the consensus about China is a problem. Everybody now is saying, oh, yeah, China actually was doing really bad stuff and administrations before Trump weren't doing anything about it. Yeah, I think I mean, I think I can agree that China was doing bad stuff, but I'm generally, you know, very. I know you're a free trade guy. You're, you're a, a consistent guy, but you're a consistent but, but fellow. I, but, but, but I will admit that, you know, it hasn't really had the negative effect, it seems to me, at least that I thought it would. So I think that that's something I need to concede. Um, we we have to we got to I know David you probably have a life you have to leave we're gonna keep you because we're gonna ask you about the elect I, mean, I keep saying election I'm sorry about the debate the debate that is going to happen tonight uh, and also a little bit of of what you see uh, coming up in conservative circles about capitalism I don't know if it's if it's uh, capitalism with a heart that we're talking about here or capitalism that that brings out the best in people but there have been some uh, there's been some interesting discussions going on there we're talking to david harsani everybody nationalreview.com check out his piece nancy pelosi is already attacking the legitimacy of the 2020 election and uh we'll be back in just a second here all right so it's kind of harsani palooza today on the buck saxton show but we haven't talked to david harsani in a while he's national review senior writer i want to get your take and then i'll just tell the audience what i'm what i'm thinking after we let you go and enjoy your your coffee and hang out the rest of the day what are you expecting here for the uh Democrat debate tonight. I mean, the big story as I see it right now is all of a sudden Buttigieg is like a, it's like a thing. Buttigieg is actually getting some traction in places where people have to pay attention. Yeah, I think so. But I think that that's also because a manifestation of concern within the Democratic Party about their candidates. They're looking for someone a little more moderate who isn't, you know, over 70, I guess, or isn't, you know, doesn't have all the faults of, of a long history. But the thing is, no one really knows Mayor Pete very well. And I think once once you start pointing out his problems, his 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 city is not in great shape. His city, you know, there have been a lot of problems there with race and other stuff. So a really think- high murder rate. But, you know, I, I have a we're on a great station out in uh, in Indiana. And uh, I talked to some folks and I was out there recently for, for a visit. And I, I got to tell you, I was like shocked to hear that South Bend, Indiana has a really high murder rate per capita. Right, right. And they've had some shootings where, you know, police shootings that are problematic, et cetera, et cetera. Now, those are things Democrat, Democratic voters care about. So I, I'm not sure that this kind of popularity will last, but maybe he will withstand it and be wonderful and move forward. I don't know. We'll see about that. I, I, I tend to think he's overrated. I find him to be a sanctimonious and annoying, but, you know, I don't really have my pulse on the. <laughs> well, I, I think you're right about the sanctimonious thing, especially when he's lecturing people on theology. I find that oh, that I, really. I can't take it. I can't, I'm an I can't take I can't it even handle it. He is really smug on, on that stuff. And as a lot of the time, no, he's getting way beyond his knowledge base on that stuff. But I, I wanted to sort of uh, touch on how it seems that the Democratic Party now more than ever, and this is mostly through the prism of Warren and Bernie's candidacies, 
but it seems like there's just not just an open embrace of socialism, but trashing capitalism in the most cynical and ignorant way is really popular among the Democrats these days. It is. And unfortunately, I think it's getting to be popular among some conservatives as well. I think what you have is, you know, so much success. People have been afforded so many freedoms and so many great things that maybe new generations don't put that success into the context it's supposed to be in. And uh, so I worry about that. Though, I have to say I'm slightly heartened that the Democratic Party sort of moved away from Warren pretty quickly once she embraced, you know, really big socialistic plans. I think that there's still, I hope at least, a moderate center that doesn't want to fully, you know, embrace that those sorts of ideas, collectivist ideas or socialistic ideas. Um, but unfortunately, I think when you look at polling, young people are always more open to those ideas. And that's, that's that, you know, I think there are a bunch of reasons I won't get into, but I think that that's incredibly dangerous for us moving forward, maybe I, the most dangerous. I've been saying, and, you know, of course, you should always be, uh, one should always be careful with, uh, with predictions that rely, the predictions of, uh, of a political nature where you're certain. But I, I've just, I just cannot fathom a, a future in which, Joe Biden is actually <laughs> the audience is sick of me saying this. I'm like, it's not going to be Biden. Okay, uh, are you? Do you? Do you really? Do you think it could be Biden? I mean, am I? Am I? Uh, am I talking crazy talk? Let me ask you this: When Donald Trump was running initially, did you think he he could win? No, I mean, no, yeah. absolutely not. I, I I was sure he would not win. I mean, I've right. I've had to admit that many times. So me too. Until the last moment, until I saw that. <laughs> So I saw that um, New York Times page with the little, you know, lever going up. But yeah, when I, he won Florida, it was like the entire world all of a sudden changed. Yeah, yeah. everything changed forever. But um, but here's the thing. That I think a similar thing can happen here, where you have a bunch of, you have a right-left divide, and people are sort of knocking each other out. And if no one else, sort of an outsider candidate, and I doubt there's anything like that available, Michael Bloomberg, whatever, I don't think that he's he has that kind of appeal. I think I just don't, see why the Democrats wouldn't land on the, what they think is the surest bet to win, which would be Joe Biden. Um, I think they overrate him as a politician because before Obama saved him, I mean, he was the Delaware senator. He wasn't, he, he's lost, I don't know, how many times has he run for president? Two, three times. He's never been successful. I think he got like like two or three percent of the vote and when he ran before. I mean, he was, I remember going to see him speak in D.C. maybe in 2007 or 2008, uh, you know, and that and that uh, and he was the um, he was there with like who's he was like in Kucinich territory. It was like, oh, right. he's one of the kind of also ran joke presidential candidates. Right. I mean, he he Obama picked him to, because he was been around for a long time. And, you know, he has this sort of aura of white working, you know, that he appeals to the white working class, regular, normal Joe and all of that stuff. But he's not a particular he's never been a particularly good politician. He's he, a politician. He said crazy things throughout his entire career. And no, we might not care about that anymore, but it's a, it's 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 a fact. So um, I don't know. I think that he might win, but uh, I don't know that he, I don't know that he's a shoe in I mean, a lot of people think, you know, the Democrats are just going to roll over Trump. I just don't. I, I can't say that after the last election. I just don't believe that it's true anymore. But I don't know why. Who do you think? Who do you think could win other than Biden? I I feel like I still think that they're gonna they'll go with Warren. I think that they'll excuse really? her ridiculous lack of policy math, and I I think that Elizabeth Warren gives them. They feel like it's a cross between you get a little bit of Biden, a little bit of Bernie, and a little bit of Hillary all in one package. She really, really.
really hurt herself, right, just fully jumping all in on the Medicare for all with a plan and everything else. It's like Obama. I don't know if people remember, but he was he was in for um, he was in for socialized medicine, right? Initially, right, I think. And then he, you know, he was able to, you know, massage those things and change his mind and this and that. But once you have plans on the book and once you've taken the stand and you've even explained how you're going to pay for it, etc., it just seems like a really hard position to, to sort of moderate yourself on. And uh, do you, are you going to watch the whole thing, by the way? And also, do you think that the debate at this stage even does it matter? I am 100% not going to watch the debate at all. I would rat at all. I'm done. I've seen how many debates have they had already? And they still have 10 candidates up there. It's a waste of time, isn't it? I, I think it's too much. I mean, I have to because I got to do the show. And, you know, I, I, I watch it so that my audience doesn't have to. But, like, I, if I were left to my own devices, no, I already know what all these people think about everything because I've seen them for hours and hours and hours. And I've read the transcripts after I've watched it. It's annoying. Since the second debate, I'm like, I'm never watching, and I'm sitting here, and I will probably end up watching some of it. But here's the thing. I, I don't think these debates matter that much. Um, the last big moment, or the only really big moment, was Tulsi taking out Kamala Harris, right? Um, and I don't know that there'll be another moment like that. So, Why do you think they hate Tulsi so much, by the way? Because, you know, there, she has some—she's very left-wing, but conservatives, like myself, uh, are kind of like, I kind of like Tulsi. Even though I think she's bad on a lot of policy issues, she doesn't strike me as a— as an odious person, why do the why do the why does the liberal establishment really even not just the far why do they hate her so much? That's a good question. I mean, I think that she is compelling in a way, um, and, and and you know her foreign policy views seem not far removed from what they used to be during the Bush administration on the left and so on. So I don't really understand why they're so you know so why they hate her so much. My my only thought is that they don't think she has a chance, and they feel like she's hurt people's chances who. And so she's just playing spoiler, maybe. Yeah, yeah I think I she's mean, just I mean, not mean enough. She's, for a, she's a Russian asset, so yeah. I, I think I, I really think it's that she doesn't she doesn't view her her role in politics as trying to find uh, like to to storm the Republican castle, overrun it, and bayonet all the survivors. Like that's well, that's another thing. She doesn't have orthodox views, right? She was a little more socially conservative. She's willing to say maybe we should impeach the president initially. She's willing to say things. I think that that degrade against the orthodoxy of, of the Democratic Party. So maybe it's something like that. I don't know. I find her appealing in many ways. She's smart and uh, telegenic, and you know, and, and and I think that she thinks through her beliefs and all of that. She's a, I mean, she, you know, she serves everything. I, I, she, it seems to me like she would be the kind of candidate that I, I that you, you should be excited about if they're in your party. I would think so too. But every time I I defend Tulsi, people say that you know. I, I just like Tulsi because... She... Well, I remember her visiting Assad and stuff like that, and to me, you know, it's hard to get over that stuff, at, no matter what her excuses were. So um, so for that reason, I don't really like her, but I think her realist foreign policy and stuff like that is actually pretty popular these days, so I don't really get it. Yep. All right, everybody, David Harsanyi. David, thanks for giving us so much time, man. Check out his latest at nationalreview.com, and we'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Thank you. The House is going to do what the House is going to do. And when they get through, as you all know, it uh, comes over here, displaces all the business, and we'll be on it until senators decide it's time to, to reach a conclusion. I will repeat what I've said in the past. <clears throat> it's inconceivable to me that it'd be 67 votes to remove the president from office. Inconceivable to me, too, but uh, Cocaine Mitch don't play. As you know, Cocaine Mitch is going to be the one that oversees that whole thing. I I am a little bit frustrated, though, and some others have started to point this out as well. Why is it the case that the Senate 
Republicans aren't, and, you know, Senate Republican uh, majority that, for example, runs the, uh, you know, Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Why aren't they calling witnesses? You know, you got to if, if the Democrats are going to abuse the process, you have to use the process to beat them back. You know, you got to fight fire with fire here. And, you know, having uh, Devin Nunes say, oh, but, you know, we want to enter into the record that these are the witnesses we'd want to have. I get it. I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't do that, but that's not sufficient, obviously. Where is the Senate on this? Where are the uh, where's the testimony under oath from Chalupa and Hunter Biden and, and other DNC tied officials, other people that might have some interesting things to say about all this stuff? Just what just wondering when that's going to happen, I, I think Republicans, unfortunately, still don't really fully comprehend. A lot of elected Republicans don't really fully comprehend the nature of the left and what they're willing to do. I think they see it, but they haven't really absorbed. They haven't really internalized the lengths that the Democrat left will go to to destroy them uh, and the the games that they are willing to play in that in that whole process. But um, we shall have to see. By the way, Trump. Uh, uh, had some things to say about uh, Ambassador Kent that I wanted to play. Would you, producer Mark, would you play 14, please? I don't know Vindman. I never heard of him. I don't know any of these people other than I have seen one or two a couple of times. They're ambassadors. But these are names that are taught, like Taylor, like Kent with a nice bow tie, wonderful bow tie. Maybe I'll get one for myself someday. I don't know who Kent is. I don't know who Taylor is. Yet yesterday, Vindman said that he was the president's senior. We didn't do much Vindman today because that was yesterday and we had Sondland this morning. And, you know, this is the you know impeachment marathon that we're stuck in the middle of. But uh, Vindman had some Vindman did not do well yesterday. I didn't I, I wanted to just return to this for a moment to give you my sense of what happened here. Uh, Vindman was not a strong witness for the Democrat cause. He was trying to be. He's clearly a partisan. Uh, but when Vindman was up there, there were some moments that did not look good for him. And, and one of the most important had to do with, um, well, first of all, there's a lot of sanctimonious stuff. Uh, like here is Colonel Vindman claiming that he is not a never Trumper. Play 16. Lieutenant Colonel, by the way. The day after you appeared for your deposition, Lieutenant Colonel, President Trump called you a never-Trumper. Colonel Vindman, would you call yourself a never-Trumper? Representative, I'd call myself never-partisan. Never-partisan. Hmm, interesting. He's a registered Democrat, by the way. Is that a surprise to you? Public records, guy's a registered Democrat. Is that, that a surprise to anybody? Huh. Oh, No. You mean you kind of knew this guy's a Democrat all along? Oh wow! Isn't that isn't that crazy? Isn't that just just crazy? There's some other stuff that came up about Mr. Vindman. Uh, Jim Jordan, for example, pointed out that there were people, some very squared away, very seasoned national security experts, who felt like uh, this Vindman guy. There were some issues there. Fifteen, please. Your boss had concerns about your judgment. Your former boss, Dr. Hill, had concerns about your judgment. Your colleagues had concerns about your judgment. And your colleagues felt that there were times when you leaked information. Any idea why they have those impressions, Colonel Vindman? Uh, yes, Representative Jordan. I guess uh, I'll start by uh, reading 
um, Dr. Hill's own words, as she she attested to in my last evaluation that was dated middle of July, right before she left. Alex is a top 1% military officer and the best army officer I've worked with in my 15 years of government service. It's like, I'm amazing. I'm a never part. I'm never partisan. Call me Lieutenant Colonel or else this guy mm-mm, did not, did not do himself a lot, a lot of favors um, in the, in the presentation that the Democrats were trying to put on yesterday. And uh, the worst part for him was actually, I don't, I don't even know if we have this clip, but I'll just tell you what happened. When he was asked about who he talked to, um, who he talked to after the phone call between Trump and Zelensky, he said, "Oh well, I didn't tell my ame- I didn't tell my superior uh, because I was so busy." And then Jim Jordan pushed him more and, and got him to admit, "Well, you didn't talk to your superior officer, but you did go to see a lawyer and a sea lawyer who I believe is his brother." And you also did go to see a person that the Democrats claim we can't know who it is because we're all supposed to pretend we're a bunch of idiots and don't know that the other person he told is the whistleblower and the whistleblower's name from what we are told is Eric Sharamella, who was working at the NSC and who loves Biden and is a leftist and hates Trump. This is like the reality of the world that we're in. But it is to be denied. It is to be obscured, to be pushed aside in favor of this nonsense. It's just bizarro, crazy town stuff uh, that we're supposed to just pretend we don't know what we know. I'm sorry. I, I don't I don't want to do that. I'm I'm not OK with that. So that's why I tell you about the things that I do. By the way, there's some very strong witnesses that appeared for Trump in this whole thing, like uh, Ambassador Volker, for example. Just would you please uh, play clip two here? At no time was I aware of or knowingly took part in an effort to urge Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Biden. I was not on the July 25th phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky. I was not made aware of any reference to Vice President Biden or his son by President Trump until the transcript of that call was released on September 25th. So here you have a guy who is what, the envoy for Ukraine or special envoy for Ukraine, some form of uh, ambassador. There's a lot of ambassadorial titles floating around these days. Uh, He is not he is not aware of this situation. How is it possible that this guy is working so closely on this? And it's so clear. I mean, Sondland's saying today everybody was in the loop. Apparently Volcker wasn't in the loop. And how seriously can we take the demand that supposedly existed from the president to do a thing if people that would have had to know about the demand to help push it didn't even know about it? It's just it's just all a big circle, folks. It's just nonsense. This Democrat impeachment thing is a self-looking ice cream cone. They make all these accusations. Oh, they get all spun up, and then it kind of falls apart. But the media goes, oh, my gosh, look at this thing. It's a sham. It's a scam. And really, it's a travesty because we all have to, the whole country has to waste so much time on this one. And I just wish there were other things worthy of discussion. Oh, by the way, I haven't even talked to you about what I think about the Democrats tonight, what I think is going to happen with the Democrat debate, although Harsanyi and I kind of trash the whole notion of the need to watch it. I'll watch it. I'll watch it so you don't have to. That's 
one of the promises that I make here for you in the Freedom Hut, that you don't have to waste your time because I'll tell you what happened. All right, so the Democrat debate tonight, Buck style, telling you about what I think is really going on here because the buck never stops. Uh, here's what we got. You To qualify for this one, candidates had to see, receive at least 3% in four DNC-approved polls. Donations from at least 165,000 supporters, blah, 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 blah. All right, here's what we got for the candidates. Uh Klobuchar, Booker, Buttigieg, Sanders, Biden, Warren, Harris, Yang, Gabbard, Steyer. Uh, Castro didn't get the required numbers. And as we know, Beto O'Rourke just like totally is not running for president anymore. He was born to do it. So I guess he's been unborned because he like is not going to be president. And I just don't know. Uh, let's see what we have here. Uh going to have to be a big night, I think, or rather they're going to try to make this a big night. The media, to, to make this an interesting story, um, they want to push for Buddha Judge. A lot of them want to push for Buddha Judge. Um, Andrew Yang, I got to say, you know, I like Yang. I like Gabbard. You all know that. I'm honest with you about it. I, I tell you who my, if I had to, here, producer Mark, actually, let's get you onto this one. If you if you have to vote, forget about. I mean, I asked you who the worst was, and you're good on that because you said De Blasio, which might have even been better than my answer, yeah. which was Beto, because I think De Blasio is the worst. De Blasio is still the worst, even though he's not, he's in, not the even in the race. Yeah. He's, still he's still the worst. The worst. I totally agree. But if you had to vote for one of these candidates that I named, if you mm. have to. I'm making sure. You, gun to your head. Who is it? I'd say Andrew Yang. I like it. I want to. I want to yeah. say I'm a member of the Yang Gang. You know, he's interesting. I. I I would probably, I would probably, at the end of the day, say say Gabbard, but I want Yang to be his, his his veep again. I'm not voting for a Democrat. I'm just saying if we, if we, if we had to. Um, and on this list, I think the worst for me, and we do best and worst here. I think the worst. Mm, this is actually not easy. I, I, I go, I, I go. The worst is um, Kamala Harris. I think Kamala Harris is the worst because the media tried so hard to just make Kamala Harris a big political thing and it's just not happening. Who do you go? Hmm. See, I want to say Bernie Sanders just because you and uh, Larry David has ruined him for me. I can't that's take true. him seriously at that's all. That's true. Yeah. That's like I, He could just say, I love puppies and I can't take him seriously because of well, the voices. Well, have a free yeah. puppy program. Everybody's going to get a puppy. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to get the puppies and they're going to share them with other people. It's going to be communal puppies. You know what? I take it back. If he does that, I will vote for him. Well, actually, that's actually a great plan. That's a platform that I could get behind, yeah. too. Because I want a puppy. I just don't want to have to take care of it all the time. So if it was mm. a communal puppy, that would be, well, you're getting married soon. You know what happens? Baby or puppy. Got to make your pick, dude. Puppy. Puppy, yeah. See, no. that's, puppy that's can't talk about. back to me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, Klobuchar, I got to say, I think is you know, she's an interesting candidate for the Democrats because she's from the Midwest and female and- Booker, he's just in this still because the media likes him. I mean, he just the media likes Cory Booker, and so Cory Booker gets to continue to to be running for president, even though I don't think anybody believes he's going to win anything, uh, including the primary. That's Joe Biden still still in the mix here. Former Vice President Joe Biden, wouldn't we call him Senator Joe Biden? Former Vice President Joe Biden, I list him here. And well, anyway. So uh, I don't think it's going to be a whole lot of change tonight from what you're used to seeing. I'll have a bunch of Democrats who come out and say, like, blah, 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 socialism, more spending, big government, free stuff, free stuff, free college, free health care, 
Trump is Hitler. Country's going to go to hell. Climate change is going to kill all of us uh, unless you vote for Democrats. That's it, really. I mean, I now I feel like you don't even do I even have to watch the debate. We've established already what the main thrust will be. I do think that the the most damaging politically, the most damaging position the Democrats hold now for general election purposes and. We'll see how much this gets attention tonight. People don't talk about immigration as much right now as they had been. The border crisis has died down a little bit. Oh, some a fascinating thing happened. I think it was in AFP, Agence France Presse, or Agence France Presse. I don't know, however you were supposed to say that. Uh, AFP did this story on a U.N. analysis of all the children that were uh, in custody at our southern border. And it was a horrifying moment, right? Because, oh, my gosh, Trump, kids in cages, all this really, really bad stuff. And it turned out that the analysis the U.N. did was from the kids, quote, in cages from the Obama administration. 2015. Whoops. But you would think, hold on a second. Why is that now no longer a story? It's an analysis of what had happened because AFP pulled it. So they put out a story based on an analysis, U.N. analysis of, of children being held at the southern border in detention as they're being processed to be led into this country, by the way, and, and which they all were led into the country. And uh, because it turns out that it didn't happen while Trump was president, it's no longer a story. It would be hard to find in some ways a more pure distillation of mainstream media bias Bad thing happens under Trump. Story, run with it. Uh Uh-oh, same bad thing happened, but happened under Obama before Trump is president. Pull the story. Delete it. Pretend it never happened on the Internet. It's uh, It was a stunning, a stunning situation, honestly. Um, Anyway, it uh, it is what it is, my friends. Here we go. Study on U.N., child detention let's see if i make sure i think i got the right i hate i hate being wrong i'm so rarely wrong though let's see what we get here um oh it was, it was reuters i'm sorry it was a reuters story. i think i said afp it's reuters my bad a november 18 story headline u.s has world's highest rate of children in detention u.n study is withdrawn the united nations issued a statement on november 19th saying the number was not current but was for the year 2015 no replacement story will be issued Reuters, one of the biggest news organizations in the world. Oh, it's not it's not a story anymore because it happened when Obama was president. That pretty much describes for you the way the media approaches everything. It's only a story. If a bad thing happens if it's while Trump is president, it's a story. If while Obama, if it was while Obama was president, it's no longer a story. And they wonder why we all cheer and laugh when they call it fake, when Trump calls it fake news. Because they are a bunch of fakers, a bunch of frauds, hacks. I will, I will continue on this. I will continue beating this drum until the day I die. If I, you know, stop doing media tomorrow and I was just running a hot dog stand somewhere, probably leading a very nice life of a of a, a humble but striving capitalist and enjoying myself, um, I would still anybody who would listen be ranting and raving about how fraudulent the news media has become and what a bunch of uh, totally partisan hacks they are. And the worst part is they run around, you know, strutting about uh, and acting like they're so brave and they speak truth to power. It's complete nonsense. Yes, indeed. You know what's not nonsense, though? Roll call. 
for which it is now time. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com or Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let's get to emails because we didn't do emails yesterday. Gary. Gary kicks off a noise. Buck and producer Mark, you are absolutely the best. Thank you so much for adding email. I'm one of the 12 people that have never used Facebook. Regarding President Swalwell's gastric indiscretion, Mike Rowe has an excellent short 10-minute podcast episode that is 100% related and reveals the source of the name of a popular host on The View. Huh? Okay. I don't know what that's all about. But thank you, my friend, for writing in and saying nice things about me and producer Mark. Gina. Hey, Buck. Someone needs to take a picture of both Fox News and CNN. Just how CNN words and captions. Breaking news. Sondland ties Trump, Pence, Pompeo to Ukraine pressure campaign. Totally false. Um, Yeah, look, there's a lot of headline writing that goes on that is not objective. Headlines are tough because you got to grab somebody. And so to write purely objective headlines is never going to be really something that happens. But there are I think there are limits of it. And uh, yeah. But yeah, you'll see the headlines. All you have to do anytime you want is just if you have a uh, on your computer, just go to the foxnews.com site and go to cnn.com and just see the way that CNN talks about it, the way Fox talks about it. I mean, the different different points of view, watching the same thing. Steve, hey, Buck, Shields High from the live free or die state of New Hampshire. I'm a real news longtime supporter of Team Buck. I just posted to Jack Ryan TV series, the post below. You ask, I delivered. Um, See the post below. Season two, really? That's your narrative you're trying to sell to the fans that social justice whiners are going to save a country like Venezuela? Who does your research? Maybe if you want season three to be something appealing to your true fans, rather than appealing to woke snowflakes, you might want to get advice from former CIA analyst Buck Sexton to provide more sound direction. I love Krasinski in the role, but season two was tough to watch. Um, all right, man. Shields high. Thank you so much, Steve. I don't know if that's going to get Netflix or uh, whatever to or uh, Amazon rather to put me in the role. But I'm uh, sorry, not in the role. <laughs> I'm not trying to take Krasinski. That guy's very tall, very handsome. Uh, but to help with the writing behind the scenes would be good. Um, Steve. Wait, no, we already did Steve. Robert. Um, OK, nope, that was a link. And hey, Buck. I just want to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast, which I started downloading years ago when I first saw your commentary on Fox News. You are so knowledgeable for one so young, insightful, and have a soothing voice. Your impressions are hilarious. I will miss your Beto and your Bernie is perfect. Your Warren is rapidly improving, but I wish you would do Amy Klobuchar, who should be easy to do with her nasally voice. Um, regarding impressions, have you seen Tom Shalou play Shifty Schiff on Greg Gutfeld's show on Saturday night? Shalou is perfect for that part. I like to watch the star millennial on our side, Elise Stefanik, stand up to Shifty at the idiotic impeachment inquisitions. 
I've been impressed with Stefanik ever since she was the one who got Sanctacomi to admit he did not advise Congress of the existing Trump investigations, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, about the debate over the tech issues with your podcast. Yes, the problem was really bad a few months ago. Uh, keep up the high quality program and I'd be thrilled to hear Shields High again. What was the name of the history show? And I can't forget producer Mark. I like to hear the banner between you guys. Thanks for providing your email. Thanks for the feedback. Best regards, Anna. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. James. Hold on. It's got a load. Why is the internet in here so slow? Uh, all right. That's a very long email. I don't have time for that one right now. Uh, Kent on Vinman. He started to say office of before he was cut off. Uh, there's only so many in the IC. Office of what? Thanks. Shields high on Vinman. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that. If you're telling me that happened, then I believe that that could have that could have happened. All right, now we're going to switch to um, switch to the Facebook inbox, which is always fun. And Edward writes, uh, "Men at Work" is much better as a movie than Young Guns. Ah, oh, I see Edward taking producer Mark's part in this dispute. Uh, that will be remembered. Blocked and reported, sir. Um, <laughs> let's see what else we got in here. TJ, Buck, I'm not making excuses for Trump. There's no doubt he needs to do what he can to get the spending under control. But how much of this out of control spending is bureaucratic protest against him, do you think? I don't mean to be conspiratorial, but I can't help but think that an overwhelming majority of the federal government workers are Democrats who are taking their own liberties to maximize their allowable spending every month. And unfortunately, short of shutting down the government, there's not much Trump can do to cut this deep state spending. Um, huh. In- interesting. Uh, I mean, presidents can only do so much with the budget and with spending. That's true. Uh, how much are we going to blame Trump for this one? I don't know. But let's be careful about never blaming Trump for anything, right? I mean, I, that's why I think sometimes I just have to remind you guys he picks really bad people because I think it's important for us to establish that there are some things that we just need to be honest that Trump is failing on or that he's not doing a good job of. Uh, we can't always say, well, it's really hard. Yeah, well, he took the job. That was going to be a really hard job. You know, he did say they were going to build a wall, which they are now gearing up, it seems, in this last year of his first term to really build wall, hundreds of miles of wall. So that would be very interesting. And by the way, he builds he builds hundreds of miles of wall, he wins re-election, no question in my mind. No question. Not even not even close. Carl Shields High. As always, excellent work on the show. I recommended the show to a friend recently and now he's a daily listener. Thank you, Carl. I think if people the more people that hear about the show and give it a listen, the more people are going to keep listening every day to the show. We are very confident of that. Um, A critique I'm surprised has not been aimed at Bernie is must have been nice not waiting for the necessary diagnosis treatment of his recent heart attack. No lines, no delays, no waiting list, top notch congressional care. And he thinks when we add 300 million more Americans, this is going to improve quality and access. That's nuts. Well, you're right about if we do Medicare for all, if all of a sudden everybody is put into the same system. By the way, it will never be everybody in the same system because there will always be people that have enough resources to pay for a private private sector or a private market uh, health care 
And that's that's the case in Canada. It's the case in the UK. We always hear about oh, government healthcare, government healthcare. Yet a lot of the people who can afford it pay for private healthcare outside the government sector. Why do we think they do that? Because they like throwing away money, or because the government healthcare is crappy? Huh? I don't know. That's a real thinker. Got to think on that one a little bit. Um, let's see here, Rick Buck. Listen via podcast here in Idaho near the Canadian border. As a FedEx courier, wanted to weigh in on a recent article in the Times. I received a raise as soon as the Trump tax cut went into effect, and over a billion was added to fund our pension. Aircraft and trucks were replaced with more efficient ones, fuel-efficient ones. All public knowledge. Hashtag fake news. Also, men at work come from a land down under where women glow and men plunder. Love the show. Don't take calls. Told my daughter about you. She says you look like Eric Foreman from that 70s show. Just watch Loaded Weapon with Emilio Estevez. Better than the Ducks. Oh, yeah. Boomer Sooner. Watch Far and Away. Okay. History. Shields High. Blocked and reported. <laughs> there we go. That's going to be it for the show today, team. Always, always an honor and a privilege. Shields High.